Would you pray with me? Lord, we need you to purge our hearts. Father, I pray that anything that would pull away our attention, anything that would mislead us, Father, would you eliminate those things? Would you help us to hear your voice? Pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So several weeks ago, Aaron and I were in a hotel room, and we had the TV on, and this show about hoarders came on, which sounds, it can sound a little bit comic, but it's actually quite heartbreaking. People accumulating things, just things upon things upon things, usually kind of flowing out of some sort of grief or pain. And what happens is that as all this stuff accumulates in their homes, the home can't be cleaned. The home can't be used. Home can't be navigated because there's just stuff everywhere. You can't even move around in there. There's just stuff. And I thought about that this week because Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, talks a lot about obstacles, about having widened hearts. And I wondered, what if our hearts look like this? Is it possible that without realizing what we're doing, without recognizing it, we're allowing things to accumulate in our hearts that shrink our hearts, that make that space narrow, that close us off? I think that if we, if we look at the context of that passage in 2 Corinthians, we see that that's a bit of what's happening in the Corinthian church. Part of the problem there is that the Corinthians had been putting obstacles between themselves and the apostles who were bringing them the message of the gospel. Obstacles. And so these obstacles are things like they wanted status. They wanted recognition. They wanted authority. They wanted power. And because of that, there were these barriers between the Corinthians and Paul, between the Corinthians and the ones who came with Paul. But there's something else that really stands out if you read both of those letters, First and Second Corinthians. The obstacles or the barriers that the Corinthians had, had set up weren't just between them and Paul or them and the other apostles. Those were obstacles that they had allowed to take root and grow in their heart between themselves and God. Obstacles that they had set up between themselves and God whether they realize that that's what had happened or not. That's, I think, one of the reasons why Paul goes on and on in both letters to talk about all the things or all the ways that he and the others with him had suffered. He wanted the Corinthians to know that they wouldn't let anything stand between them and the Corinthians. In 6.3, he says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way. And then you see that whole list of things that comes after it. Physical threats, danger, deprivation, pain, temptation. None of those things are going to be allowed by Paul and his crew to be obstacles that stand between them and the Corinthian church. They're not going to let anything stop them from proclaiming that message. And if you read further, especially if you read the parts that come before that, you see that they're not going to let anything stand between them and the hope that lies ahead of them. If you read especially in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5, you see this 
beautiful tension. Paul is looking forward to this hope that's ahead of him, but at the same time, recognizing that there are hardships upon hardships that he has to go through to get to that. So he's going to talk about things like seeing the Lord with an unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, being transformed from one degree of glory to another. These glorious things that are promised, but ahead. And at the same time, he's going to say, but we carry this message around in brittle, vulnerable little jars of clay. Right? We're looking forward to this eternal weight of glory, but at the same time, like, we feel our bodies wasting away at every moment. Paul even says we are carrying in our bodies the death of Jesus. But for Paul, those hardships are worth it. They actually even make sense. Because Paul knows that really the, the central theme of this message is that in Christ, God is going to transform that pain and that separation from him into a glorious union with him. That's what drives Paul. That's Paul's hope. That's the thing that he sees in front of him. And if that's true, he's not going to let anything stand in the way of himself and his Lord, himself and his hope. And that's not just off in the future. Paul, several times, is going to talk about the Holy Spirit as a down payment of this promise that is to come. So if this Spirit is there and is with him, if God is present with him, Paul won't let any obstacle take root in his heart that's going to stand between him and his Lord. He doesn't want anything cramping his heart so that he can't meet the Lord there. This movement from being separated from God to being actually with God, that's what Paul means when he talks about reconciliation at the end of chapter 5. Did you hear that verse? We implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God. When Paul talks about being reconciled to God, he doesn't just mean like a couple of dudes bro-hugging each other after they fought over a girl. It's not like a fist bump and we move on with our lives. It doesn't even end with this being cleansed by the blood of Christ because we're not just going to be cleansed and kind of like left to wander on our own. We are cleansed, given Christ's righteousness so that we can be brought back into union with God. It's this whole story of a God who has taken flesh and dwelt among us, a spirit who has been sent down to be with us, a story of God undoing the separation so that we could actually be reconciled to him, be with him, enjoy the presence of the Lord. And so this, this example that Paul sets is the one that he wants the Corinthians to see. He wants them to be able to recognize that if this hope is out there in front of them, this hope of union with God, being able to see the Lord, being transformed from one degree of glory to the next, if that's the hope in front of you, Corinthians, then don't let anything stand in the way of that message. Don't let your longing for status or recognition or power or anything else crowd out your heart. Whatever is there, whatever the obstacle is, let it go. Let it go so you can receive what the Lord would give you. Let it go so you can receive this reconciliation that God has done in Christ and is offering you by the Spirit. And Paul says, do it now. Now is the day of salvation. I wanted us to, to see that example and to settle on that thought today because I really think it opens us up to Lent, the practices of Lent and its place in the life of the church. 
If you've had a chance to look at the guide that Stephen put together for uh, the Lenten devotional guide, when he talks about spiritual disciplines of Lent, I think it's on page three, here's what he says, and I quote, the practices of Lent are repentance, fasting, almsgiving, prayer, and reading the scriptures. It is helpful to think of Lent as both a time of relinquishing and repentance, almsgiving, and fasting, and receiving prayer, reading the Bible. Lent is a preparatory season aimed at the cross and empty tomb, and we prepare for the death and resurrection of Christ by giving up ourselves and receiving God's work for us. Close quote. In other words, Lenten fasts or any other sort of discipline, any other sort of practice, they're not discipline for the sake of discipline. They're not self-inflicted punishments. It's not some sort of exercise in self-loathing. They're also not hardships that we choose to put ourselves through because we think we're going to get favor with God or ascend to some new spiritual height. That's what the Corinthians would have tried to do. We practice letting go of good things like food and drink so we can learn to let go of whatever it is that would stand between us and the Lord in our hearts. And even more so, we practice letting go of what the author of Hebrews would call the sins and the snares that so easily entangle us. They're practices that are meant to help us to learn to practice repentance. Again, all of this, not so we can get to some new spiritual height, but it's simply so that we can actually grow in our ability to receive what God gives. Both the the down payment or the foretaste of what's to come, but ultimately God's full and final gift of himself to us. We do it because we don't want our hearts to be like the home of a hoarder that's full of obstacles and distractions, so full that you can't move around, that there's no room to meet anyone or to do anything. But instead, we want our hearts to be the places where God meets us, wide and open and spacious places so that we can walk with him. We want our hearts to be quiet places where we can hear him, peaceful places where we can rest in him. This is part of what these Lenten practices are meant to aim us toward, to move us toward. Now, the process will certainly be different for all of us, and that's simply because we all have different hearts with different floor plans and different obstacles. So the first step there may just be discernment. My guess is that all of us have actually probably learned to live with some of these obstacles so well that we don't actually even notice them. I am an adapter. If you come into my house and put something down in the living room, within 30 minutes, I think it's furniture, and I won't touch it, and I won't move it. If you leave something there for a half hour, I think it belongs there, and I won't do anything about it. I'll just walk right around it. I'm an adapter. That might be a pathology, but we're all actually kind of like that to some extent with our hearts. We let things take root without noticing. And then without our recognizing it, those things grow. They begin to be things that we just expect to be there. And we don't realize that they may actually be in our way. They may actually not belong. So in fasting and prayer and time of the word, ask the Lord to show you what those things are. Ask him to use those disciplines to help you see them more clearly and to give you you the strength to let them go. 
some of the obstacles that you might find in your heart might actually be really directly connected to these Lenten practices. So if the love of money has taken root in your heart, give. If food or drink are places that you seek comfort, learn to lay them down. If you're distracted by something like your phone or by something else, this is a time to learn to restrict yourself. Maybe you are obsessed with baseball and you love the world champion Atlanta Braves. You're in luck because baseball's canceled. Happy Lent, everyone. I'm projecting. Yeah. Might be that the obstacles in your heart are harder to see. Or maybe the connection between those obstacles and these Lenten practices that we talk about. So maybe it's something like pride or lust or ambition or jealousy. Maybe there's something that you covet. Maybe there's someone you need to forgive or someone that you're harboring bitterness towards. And you can't for your life figure out how giving up a donut is going to help you with your bitterness. If that's the case, let these practices be a means of laying those things down before the Lord. You can think of them as doors into an operating room where God is the surgeon. And part of the call here is to simply not be afraid of his knife. You might find that just getting onto the table is hard and that having those things removed is even more painful. But if you do, hold on to the same hope that drove the apostles. Paul talks about light and momentary afflictions preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. That's what he sees, and that's what he's going towards. The one last word about some of these obstacles, what might be their nature. You will find that there are hindrances in your heart that you actually never asked for and never wanted in the first place. And these things can choke us out just as much as the sins and distractions that we can more readily see. The things that we've chosen to put in the hallways of our hearts. This could be something like grief, because you've lost something that's really close to you or dear to you. Or disappointment, because you've been waiting for something that you've long hoped for. Could be anxiety, because, again, we are fragile and vulnerable little jars of clay. Could be sadness, because the world is dark could be some other sort of pain because you've been lied to or hurt or betrayed or rejected. These are things that by nature you can't just look at and get rid of because you would have done it already. And it could be that fasting from something might actually mean giving up the very thing that you've been using to deal with that or to cope with it. And the prospect of giving that up sounds almost impossible. When you're faced with these, I hope that you can remember the way that the Bible talks about Jesus. When a flame is smoldering, he doesn't snuff it out. If a reed is bruised, he doesn't break it. Jesus doesn't look at us in our weakness and respond with scorn or anger or disgust. Instead, those seem to be the places where he so often chooses to meet us, the places where he chooses to bring us healing. And so I pray that Lent can be a time where we learn to seek solace and comfort in him. Our lives, at least mine, are full of things that threaten to clog those rooms and hallways in our hearts. But I pray that instead, like Paul pleads with the Corinthians, that our hearts would be widened or as he says later in chapter 7, that our hearts would be enlarged. 
I pray that the rooms and the hallways in our hearts would become wide and spacious so those little obstacles will shrink. I pray that the Spirit would let us or help us to let go of the things that stand in our way so our hearts can actually be meeting places where God's presence is just there and we can be with Him. Places where we can meet Him and draw on His strength. I pray that in those places, His strength and endurance will make us all so heavy, so weighty, so substantial, because we're plugged into His own being and into His own strength, that the winds and storms of this life can't blow us around. This is what God promises. This is the hope that's given to us. And as Paul says, behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.